going to end our series today on uh, faith. We're on the doctrine of salvation. We've been we've talked about what salvation was. We spent a couple weeks on that. Couple two weeks ago, I wasn't here last week. Two weeks ago, we talked about salvation, past, present, and future. Which and the greatest part about that is we realized that the moment we received Christ, we began a journey of God making us to be like Jesus Christ. And when you and I realize that that is the journey we are now on, all of a sudden life makes sense. Everything that happens is going towards that goal. So now I can begin to understand, oh, so that's why that happened. God's trying to do something in me to make me like Jesus just a little bit more. Now today, we're going to talk about that person that God's trying to make us like. Jesus. The title of the lesson today is Jesus, our Savior and Example. And so I want us to look at three things today about Jesus and we'll be done. Let's start John chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made without Him. Nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. And, of course, that was Jesus. Verse 10. He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, yet his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those he believed, or, or to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of nat- nature, or natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14. Very important verse. The Word, which we saw in verse 1, was God, and it's referring to Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus, our Savior and our example. When you think about salvation... And if I were to ask you, who is Jesus? And we're going to answer three questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, what was his purpose? And number three, what should I do with him? You remember Pilate when he was confronted on that day with releasing Jesus and Barabbas? And he said, who do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 22, Pilate asked uh, a famous question which we are all confronted with in our life. He said, well, what then do you want me to do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And the truth of the matter is we all have to answer that question. We have to do something with Him. We we can't ignore Him. We have to do something with Him. So we're going to talk about that at the end. But if I were to ask you the question, who is Jesus? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Who is Jesus? Jesus. Now, some people would say, well, he was a good man. He lived a long time ago. He was a really, really good man. I mean, he took care of people. He made people well. 
He even raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he was a really good man. Some people would say he was a great speaker. I mean, the, the Pharisees said, you know, he speaks eloquently. The people said he speaks like one with authority. He doesn't speak like our religious teachers do. He's different. So, I mean, he, he gave a several chapter sermon on a mountain that people sat for hours and listened to on a mountainside. People followed him and stayed with him just to hear his teaching. As a matter of fact, so long that they even did without food, which provided the opportunity for five loaves and two fishes and a miracle, among other times that that happened. So, some people would say, you know, he's a great speaker. You might say, he's our Savior. And I would say that too. What does that mean? But is that all he is? Is he just my Savior? And the truth is that a lot of times as believers, in practice, if not in actuality, and maybe even subconsciously without realizing it, that's really sometimes all he becomes. He's just my Savior. Well, what do you mean? Well, I asked him to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and take me to heaven when I die so that I won't die and go to hell. And so he has saved me. He is my Savior. But there's something else he is. And that's why we have John 1.14. If all he was was my Savior, then why didn't he just pop in, die, and pop out? Why did he spend 33 years here? Why do we have recorded in the major portion of the Gospels a three and a half year ministry in detail? Why do we have men that he trained writing all these other books in the rest of the New Testament? Why go through all that trouble if all he is is our Savior? What is he? Well, he's not only our Savior, he is also our example. He's the one we ought to wake up every morning and say, I want to be like him today. I want to think like he does. I want to treat people like he does. You know, I want to work like he does. I I want to love God like he does. He's our example. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Let me give you uh, four things real quick that I wrote down when I asked myself the question, who is Jesus? I wrote these four things down. Number one, he's God. John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, the Word was God. So Jesus is God. He's not just a good man. He's not just a great speaker. He's God. Let me give you a couple other verses to go with that. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus being in the form of God. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus is all the fullness of God in bodily form. So Jesus is God. Number two, He's the Creator. In John chapter 1 and verse number 3, we read, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that's been made. So Jesus not only is God, but He made us. This this Jesus, this man that we read about in the New Testament, He made you and me. He's the Creator. Number three, He is the source of all life. Eternal and physical. In John chapter 1, look at verse number 4. It says, in Him was life. 
The Bible says that we live and we move and we have our existence in Him. Without Jesus, we don't exist. Now, now why is that? Because of the first two things He is. He's God, and He created us. So He obviously is the source of all life. Every day I get up and breathe, it's a miracle of God that Jesus gives me. He lets me breathe today. He's letting me live right now. Um, I had my physical this past week, my annual uncomfortable meeting with my doctor. And when you go in and you're about 35 pounds overweight, when you're five foot 11, you're not supposed to weigh 270 pounds. Football players do. I'm just a big man, I told him. But then you start worrying about everything else. Blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides, and all them other words that you learn in medical school that you scare all your patients with. And so when I go in, he sits down, and i got a great doctor. I've been going to him for five years, and he's been telling me for all five years, Bill, we need to lose weight. He reminded me the other day, he said, oh, you've been coming here for five years. We haven't made a dent in that weight yet, have we? Well, no, we obviously haven't. Matter of fact, he said, it's gone up a little bit. Must have been them cheeseburgers last week. I don't know. But we went in and he starts checking everything. And and he's always on that computer. And you know, if you've ever had those blood tests, and they, I mean, i got three pages of stuff. And so he starts going through it. Well, this looks good and this looks good and there's your liver function. This looks real good. And I'm looking at this stuff. It looks like Greek to me. And I'm, how does he know all that stuff? So I paid $150,000 to go to medical school so he could read them pieces of paper. And then he gets to the end after he's checked everything, listened to my heart and poked and all that other stuff they do. And one of the things, by the way, I worry about is prostate cancer. I'm 52 years old. My dad had prostate cancer. And it's very hereditary. And so I worry about that. And so he, they do a PSA test to check the, the cancer count in your prostate. And he said... Everything's normal. Then he gets to the end of all this and he said, well, you know, actually, you're in really good shape. Except for the 30 pounds that you need to lose. So when he tells me that, it's at the, I mean, you know, I I begin now the slowly progressing worrying process of when I have to go back next year and go through the whole thing. I have to go back in March. Every six months, I have to go back. By the way, he made me schedule a colonoscopy because I hadn't had one of those. And um, I hope y'all are laughing because you hadn't had it. Or you're laughing because it was, I don't know, I'm just kidding. But you know, he told me, he said, uh, you're 52, you haven't had a colonoscopy, you're two years late. I'm late? I, I never got a memo, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Actually, I did, but I do not treasure the thought of what those things are. Uh, fortunately, I hear they put you to sleep to um, probe. But anyway... Uh, so i got to go do that. But other than that, he said, uh, we're going to make a deal. When you come back in March, you're 30 pounds lighter. So you know what I did yesterday? I cleaned out two bedrooms at our house, moving beds and things around. And my son David moved to Louisville, Kentucky to go to work for a new company and, and go back to grad school. He had all of this Olympic weight equipment. Benches, bars. I mean, we've got a whole dumbbell set. From five pounds to 50, the rack, I mean, the whole nine yards. We have a treadmill we've had for years that I pull the cobwebs off of. And one of my bedrooms now downstairs is an exercise room. 
equipped with mirror and flat screen TV so that I can go in there and lose 30 pounds by next March under the direct supervision of my wife. So, when I go through all of that, you say, Bill, why are you telling me all that? Because when I look at all that and I see all that stuff that could go wrong with me, every day I wake up and I'm breathing, to me it's a miracle. And literally it's because God lets us. Do you know how many people walk in that are in a lot better shape than I am and hear your PSA is way high? You've got prostate cancer. We need to schedule surgery. I don't have that yet. That's a miracle. So, God, who is Jesus? He's God. He's the Creator. He is the giver of life. And then number four, He is God in human form. He literally is God in a human body. Now, why is that important? John 1.14 says that the Word God was made flesh and came down to live among us. Why did He do that? I'm going to tell you why. So He could be an example for us. You're going to have your sins forgiven. I'm going to take care of that. But I also need to teach you how to live your life on the earth as a human after you get your sins forgiven. So I'm going to come and I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to show you how to do it. Alright? So that's who Jesus is. Number two. Question number two. What's His purpose? Okay? Well, why didn't you just pop in, die, pop out, and let that be the end of it? Why did you stay here for 33 years? What was His purpose? Here they are real quick. Number one. To defeat the work of the devil. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man came to destroy the work of the devil. What is the work of the devil? John 10 and verse 10. Jesus said the thief, the devil, comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That is what Satan wants to do to our life. And by the way, with as weak as we are, and as stubborn as we can be sometimes, it's not real hard for him to do it. That's why we need Jesus so much. But Jesus, on the back end of that same verse, John 10, 10 said, but I came so you could have life and have it more abundantly. This morning Ed said, God came so we could have an overabundance life. That's the verse. The word in the Greek where that's translated abundant life literally is the Greek word that means super abundant. Far above what you could ever even imagine. That's how God wants us to live. But if I'm going to live that way, I've got to follow His example because Jesus showed me how to live like that. So, number one, His purpose was to defeat the work of the devil. Number two, His purpose was to let us know there's a God who loves us. You know there are people in this world that don't know there's a God? And they don't know that there's a God that loves them. Some people know there's a God, but they think He's a big, mean old man who sits upstairs making everybody's life miserable. Jesus came to let us know there's a God, and that God loves us. Let me give you the verses. In John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50, he talks about that. I don't have time to read those to you, but let me challenge you to read them sometime this week. Jesus says, basically in those verses, if you've seen me, guess what? You've seen God. And everything I do, I'm just doing what God told me to tell you because I'm God. I am the one in a bodily form, Colossians 2.9, the fullness of the deity in bodily form. I came down so that you could see there is a God and that He loves you. And you know, whatever you're going through, whatever you face, 
There are two things that you need to always remember. Number one, there is a God, and He is in control of everything. And number two, He loves us no matter what we do. And if you know those two things, you can handle anything. Because if He's God, and He does exist, and He's in control of everything, and He loves me, I can promise He ain't going to let nothing happen to me. He takes care of me better than I take care of myself. Most of the problems I have are self-inflicted. God has to get me out of the problems I cause. So why did Jesus come? What was His purpose? To let me know that there really is a God and that He does love me. Number three, He came to provide a payment for my sin. Because I'm a sinner, God is a holy God, required payment. So Jesus came to be that payment. Let me give you the two verses. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John 2, 2, and 1 John 4, and verse 10. Now, there are two ways that this payment is, is used. In the King James Version, the Bible uses the term propitiation. It's just a big theological term that means an atoning sacrifice. And the Bible says in both of those verses, 1 John 2, 2, and 1 John 4, 10, that Jesus was the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for my sin. In other words, I don't have to pay for my sin. He paid it for me. That's what that is. All right? So number one, he came to defeat the work of the devil so my life doesn't get destroyed. Number two, he came to let me know there was a God who loves me. Number three, he came to provide payment for my sin. Number four, the most obvious, he came to give us eternal life and save us from the penalty of our sin. John 3.16, and you all know that verse. And then 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. I love 1 Timothy 1.15 because this is where Paul says Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, of whom I am the worst. The only reason Paul said that is because he never knew me. I don't know that he was any worse than I am. I've done some pretty bad things. The truth of the matter is we're all the worst. But Jesus came to take care of all that. So He came to provide eternal life. But then finally, number uh, five, what was His purpose? All of those things we just talked about have to do with saving us from the penalty of our sin. But here's the other part that He came to do. And this is why He was here 33 years. And this is why we have all this recorded about the three and a half years of ministry that He had. He came to be our example of how to live. He came to show us how to do it. Now, how did He do that? Let me give you this, and then we're going to be done, okay? There are several things that Jesus did, I think, to teach us that He was to be our example. First of all, in John 13 and verse 15, after Jesus had washed the disciples' feet, you know what He told them? He said, now, I've done this to leave you an example as to how you should treat each other. He said, the reason I did this was not because I had to. I'm giving you an example. I'm showing you how to treat each other by doing it myself. So not only will you hear it, but I, you get a big picture of it. I'm showing you how it's done. Just do it the way I did it. Treat each other the way I'm treating you. Let me give you some other verses. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Bible talks about Christ being our example. In 1 Peter... Chapter 2 and verse 21, the Bible talks about Jesus' suffering, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. And the word example is used, but that other word follow is also used. 
There are a couple other verses. Let me just give you one of them. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, this is where Jesus said, if any man comes after me, he's got to take up his cross and do what? Follow me. Follow me. You know what that means? That means Jesus, if I were Jesus, I would say, okay, I'm walking out that door, I'm going to Olive Garden. Follow me. Let's go. And, and all you do, it's not hard. Just, just follow me. Just come where I'm going. You don't have to walk the way I walk. You don't have to waddle like I waddle, but just follow me. Go in the same direction. We're in the same place. That's not hard. That's all Jesus is saying. Follow me. Well, I can't follow somebody I know nothing about. That's why we dig into the Bible like we do. We've got to figure out what He's like. If He's my example, I'm struggling with finances. I'm struggling with somebody in my life who's a jerk. I'm having trouble liking them. Jesus, how did, how did you do this? I mean, did, Jesus, you ever have anybody didn't like you? Well, let me see. Let me pull out this manual here with about 85 pages of people's names listed here. Which one would you like to hear about? He, he's got all... Every situation you and I go through, He's been there. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted just like we are, yet without sin. He did it right. And so what do we do? All we got to do is just follow Him. Just follow Him. And we'll do it right if we do what He did. Now, how do we follow Him? Let me give you a few things here that I hope will help. There are two things, two areas of life that sum up where we need to look to Jesus to find out what to do. Jesus gave an example of two areas of life. Number one, He gave us an example of how to act, action. Number two, he gave us an example of how to think, attitude. Let me give you the verses. Action, John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. This is where he washes the disciples' feet. He showed us how to act. He physically did the actions. Number two, he showed us attitude. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, the Bible tells us, after explaining... That Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but He humbled Himself and became obedient. In the very next verse, Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, Let this attitude be in you, which was in Jesus. Literally, I'm supposed to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Now, there's attitudes about all kinds of things. There's attitudes about life. There's attitudes about my purpose. There's attitudes about other people. There's attitudes about money. There's attitudes about work. There's attitudes about church. There's attitudes about the Bible. There's attitudes about God. There's attitudes about everything. And Jesus taught us the right attitude about all those things. Why did He do it? In His actions. He showed us how to do it. When Jesus was being beaten, what did He do? He said, forgive them. Did he beat back? No. When Jesus was mocked, did he bristle up like a full of brush and start mocking back? 
No. See, the problem is not that the example is hard to understand. The example is hard to do. Because let's just be honest, we ain't him. That's why God has to work on us. We're just not him. And I can tell you, especially if it comes to my family, if somebody tries to hurt my family, I don't know if I'm going to turn the other cheek. I let all my family members turn the cheek. I'm going to bust their face. I, I'm just, should I do that? I don't know. I ought to protect my family. That's not what I'm saying. But what if somebody comes making fun of me? Remember when you were a kid? Remember the little saying? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Sounds great. Don't work. Words do hurt, don't they? And sometimes they hurt so bad, they make us respond the wrong way. That's why we got to learn how to do it the way Jesus did. Isaiah said he was mocked, he was beaten, he was marred beyond human recognition, yet he opened not his mouth. Now, could Jesus have taken care of those people? I mean, come on. He even told Peter when he whacked off Malchus's ear, don't you think that I could call ten legions of angels right now to protect me? I can handle this, but it's not the right way. I would be giving you the wrong example. So what is he? He's my example in what areas? Action and attitude. How does he teach me? There's two ways he teaches me. Number one, through his message. And number two, through his model. It's not just what we read about what he did, but it is the message of the Bible that he also teaches. Jesus was only here three and a half years. After you get out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's gone. But there's a whole lot of the New Testament still left. What is the rest of the New Testament? It's all those guys that Jesus taught who are telling us what Jesus told them. It's all the rest of it. By the way, is that all of it? No, but it's all God wanted us to have. You remember what John said in the very last verse of the Gospel of John? If everything about Jesus had been written down, the world would not be able to hold all the books. So you know what he did? He condensed it all down to a little book about that big. Unless you have one of them pocket versions, and then it's smaller than this. Of course, if you're like me, you don't have one of those because you never be able to read it. I have the large print edition and still wear glasses so I can read it. But the truth is, this book, Jesus modeled it for us, but He also gave us a message that teaches us how to do it. Now, are you and I ever, ever going to master being just like Jesus this side of heaven? No. We learned that last time. That's why salvation is past, present, and future. The only time we're going to be exactly like Him is when we get to heaven. But it doesn't mean the journey and the process is not taking place now. We're still supposed to try. And by the way, why do we try? Because if I do it the way Jesus did, that's the best way to live. If I want life super abundantly, I live like this. If I want life to be all screwed up, I live however I want to. And by the way, don't we prove to ourselves that that's true? How many times have we tried to do it the way we wanted to do it? And guess what? It didn't work so hot. I do it all the time. I still do it. Sometimes I want to hit myself. And basically look at myself in the mirror and say, You idiot! How many times have I told you? 
You know, we all talk to ourselves. Some of us just do it out loud. How many times have I told you not to do that? You still keep doing the same thing, and you still keep getting the same result. You know what insanity is, don't you? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It ain't going to happen. And you know what? That is the part of life, which is why we're here today. It's why we have a Bible. It's why we get together and encourage one another. It's why we work at it. Because this is the best way to live, and Jesus is our model, and He's given us a message to teach us how to do it, but we're still humans, and it's still tough. So we've got to help each other, and we just work at it. All right? Now, finally, what am I supposed to do about all this? Okay? I know who He is. I know why He came here. What am I supposed to do about it? Well, it's very simple, and there are two very simple words. And I'll give them to you, and Jesus basically talked about them in John chapter 1. First of all, I've got to believe that He exists and that... All of this is true. And if I do, then I will repent of my sins and accept Him as my Savior. So I've got to believe that. That's why He said in John chapter 1, Yet as many as received Him and believed in Him, He gave the right to become a child of God. So I've got to believe Him and receive Him. If I don't do that, then I'm not going to benefit from any of this. Then number two, I don't just believe. Now I've got to follow it's really not hard. Believe and then follow. It's the following part that's hard. I don't think any of us really struggle with the believing part. I think we got that. But the following part can be rough sometimes. And it's just like Dr. Carney said today. Sometimes he asks us to go places and follow him into places that we look at and say, Now, wait a minute, Lord. I don't know if I want to go in there. What if where he's leading me is in some deep, dark cave that may be filled with all kinds of snakes and spiders and rats? And for those of you that like that sort of thing, we'll have to come up with another illustration. But for those of you that don't, you know what I'm talking about. Doesn't God sometimes lead us into places that are deep and dark and we don't really understand? Sure he does. But remember, he loves me more than I love myself. He's never going to do anything to hurt me. And if I really believe him, then that's where I learn to trust him. He'll take care of me. And sometimes, uh, maybe we'll get together and we'll just spend a whole time together letting people give testimonies about how they trusted God and it worked. And I think most all of you have an example of how you trusted God and it worked. But we're all the same. No matter how many times we trust Him, and it works every time, we still worry a little bit when we start heading into those deep, dark caves. So, Jesus, He's not only our Savior, He's our example. Next time you get into a situation you're not sure what to do, pull out your Bible say, God, I need you to show me how Jesus handled this. He's my example. What did he do? And then ask him to give us the courage and strength to do the same thing. All right, Father, thank you for giving Jesus not only to be our Savior, but to be our example. He's been there. He's lived it. He went through it. And he left us with a perfect example with no sin. Father, give us wisdom to know how Jesus did it and then give us the strength to follow Him. Lord, give us a great week. I know that there are a lot of people here today that are going to be facing some real difficult things this week. Some of us already know what's coming. Others, we may not know it yet. Please remind us that no matter what we face this week, You're right there with us. You love us more than we love ourselves, and You're going to take care of us. And Father, we love you. Thank you.